opened the door to the most powerful room in housing, built for mortgage executives, real estate leaders, and the rising stars that drive innovation and progress. The gathering will feature over 45 powerful speakers on stage in Scottsdale, Arizona from April 21st to 24th. Learn more and register now at housingwirethegathering.com. HousingWire Daily examines the most compelling mortgage, real estate, and fintech articles reported from the HousingWire newsroom. Each afternoon, the HW Digital team provides our listeners with a deeper look into the stories that are helping move markets forward. Hosted and produced by Alcina Lloyd and Victoria Wickham. And now, here's our host. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Alcina Lloyd and this is HousingWire Daily. Today's episode features a crossover episode from Housing Wire's Housing News Podcast. In this episode, Michael Bright, CEO of Structured Finance Association, discusses findings in the 2020 SFA annual report, as well as what's ahead for the market this year in relation to LIBOR, ESG initiatives, and GSC reform. But before you listen, here's a brief word on more Housing Wire podcasts. They say money talks, so why can't we? HousingWire is thrilled to introduce its newest podcast, Girl Funds, a show where we give you our two cents on money. We love to talk with our girlfriends about everything, except our finances. We're here to bring money back into the conversation, hosted by me, Brenda Nath, along with our editor-in-chief, Sarah Wheeler. Be sure to join us every week starting this Wednesday for our girls' night focused on everything from how to pursue your dream of owning a home to affording your best friend's wedding. Each week, we'll have a special guest join us as we intertwine finance and friendship. Welcome, everyone. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at Housing Wire, with the latest episode of our Housing News Podcast. I'm very excited to introduce our guest today, Michael Bright, the CEO of the Structured Finance Association, the nation's leading trade group for the securitization industry. Michael previously served as Acting President of Ginny May, Director at the Milken Institute's Center for Financial Markets, Senior Advisor to the U.S. Senate Banking Committee, Vice President of BlackRock's Financial Advisory Unit, and Senior Vice President at Penny Mac, among other roles in the private sector. So, Michael, welcome to Housing News. Sarah, thank you for having me. Great to be here. Uh, we're thrilled to have you. Uh, so the first thing we start out, we, we really want to give people a sense of, of who our speakers are. And one of the things we found is like no one gets into this industry in the same way. So we'd love to ask you, you know, how did you start? How did you start your housing career? Oh, boy. Um a long time ago, a long, long time ago, and got too far <laughs> away. Um, no, um, interesting question. So I, I was probably, I guess, 23 years old, and I was going to graduate school in DC, a place called SICE. It's Johns Hopkins Advanced, Inter- it's an international studies school. And um, boy, I, I was casting a wide net, honestly. I had no clue what I wanted to do with my life whatsoever, but I knew certain things that I liked. I knew I liked finance and I like markets and I like public policy. And so I interviewed for a couple of jobs on the Hill. I, inter- I was working at a think tank. Um, they gave me this job offer to, to, you know, be like a research assistant. None of the DC jobs paid anything like what was enough to support just like a, you know, a studio apartment in town. I, I still don't know how a lot of the 20 somethings do it when they try and go into public policy. So I was also looking into finance and this was 2002. So the dot-com bubble had just happened. 9-11 had just happened and New York wasn't hiring anybody. So that, so like the whole idea of going to New York to do finance um, wasn't panning out. Staying in DC was, there was an option, but it didn't pay anything. And 
randomly, you know, got connected with Countrywide with some folks out in the West Coast um, and didn't know much about the company, didn't know that much about mortgage-backed securities or anything. But I flew out and the weather was beautiful and the building was outstanding. And I walk into the trading desk, which they had just remodeled and like my eyes lit up and I'm like, holy, you know, there are all these people with all the, the screens and the TVs everywhere and yelling back and forth. And it was like straight out of liar's poker. Um, and it was nice weather and the parking lot was filled with nice cars. And, and I don't know, something went off of me and I was like, this looks like a lot of fun and I can learn a lot. So um, ended up moving to the West coast and I worked on the trading desk there and I did learn a lot. Um, some lessons that were great, like how these markets work and how mortgage-backed securities work and how capital markets work. And then some lessons that were painful to learn, like how greed can in infect people's thinking, you know, watching watching some folks realize that this couldn't last, but some managers who wouldn't accept that, you know, the housing prices couldn't keep going up, watching the company basically eat itself uh, from the inside with degradation of sort of lending standards and some be and, and you know the it, and really the the company was tearing itself apart. There was a group of folks that were saying this can't go on, and there was a group of folks, and those folks, a lot of them ended up at Penny Mac, to be honest. And then a group of folks that were kind of like, no, that's not true. Let's just keep going. Um, so the so it got really ugly and and gross at the end. But um, I tried the whole time to keep my head down and just learn the technicals as much as I could. Um, and I will say that as painful as 07 and 08 were, um, it was like. 20 years of learning over the course of eight months, just watching the markets come unglued, watching the repo markets come undone, watching the treasury markets um, disappear. I mean, it was really scary that you couldn't trade treasuries for a while in 08. Um, so anyway, a um, lot of lessons, I guess, learned some good, some bad. And then ultimately, right after the financial crisis, I moved to DC and I've been here for 12 years, 13 years now ever since, and trying to dedicate myself to having the you know, harnessing the good of capital markets and what it does, um, you know, to, to grow the economy while avoiding the mistakes of the past and, and the sort of groupthink and the greed and the, um, you know, hold everybody going one direction and not and losing their minds. So uh, DC is a place that offers you the opportunity to kind of help nudge public policy um, for the good. And it's been, a, it's been a really fun journey. And so as now I'm at SFA and it's great, it's a great spot. Uh, that's such a fascinating time to uh, to be at Countrywide and to really see that. I mean, you couldn't couldn't have a better education than that uh, for it what was. you're doing now. And and even at the time, to be honest, even at the time, I was aware that you know you'd have these days where the the markets would just just do stuff that that the textbooks say is impossible. I mean, basis would widen out by thirty bips mortgage treasuries and then whip back in by 20 basis points. And then one buyer or one seller could completely move the market. And then there would be actual ARBs opportunities in the screen where you could take delivery because Bear Stearns was dumping all their cash securities. And so you, if you could take cash securities and hedge it with TBAs, there was free carry, which is a straight ARB. Um, they're the same, they're the same security, one's a future and one's a cash, but, but no one had balance sheet because all the firms were trying to dump securities off their balance sheet. Uh, just to raise cash. So it was like, you're sitting there and you're kind of like, this is not meant to ever happen. So I remember being both terrified, um, thinking, you know, the global financial system was going to collapse. Capitalism was going to end. It was going to be, you know, canned goods and bows and arrows hiding out in our basement. And that was, I actually think that was a, a pretty real possibility, but then I would try and take a moment and say, 
remember everything that's happening. Like I have like notebooks with notes of some of the stuff I saw just to try. Cause I knew that this was a once in a hundred year event. And so you're sitting here with a front row seat to try and learn as much as you can about it. Um, but that was, it was not the type of lesson that I would want to go through it ever again. Right. Well, and actually that, that leads into my next question, which is really, you know, jumping into the last year with COVID. So having been through 07, 08, you know, when, what, what we were faced with in, in 2020, uh, you know, at least gave you a background for, for what this looks like. And, and my specific question is, um, you know, the structure, uh, the SFA recently released its annual report for 2020. And one of the things it mentioned was the way the association acted to help restore liquidity and capital flow through the capital markets. And I would love for you to walk us through a little bit of what that looked like, because there were some weeks there in, in the spring that also were pretty scary. Yeah, it, it's true. You know, I I will get myself a little bit in trouble by saying this, um, and I know that some of my members feel a little bit differently, so I'm going to try and qualify it as best I can. It it was scary. Um, it was scary because we all didn't know, you know, start going back to March of, of last year. We didn't know what this was that was coming at us, and, and the idea that we're going to close down the economy was just so baffling. You were kind of like, I don't, that can't be right. There's no chance. And I'm reading these, like, studies that are saying – no, no, we'll all have to go into lockdown for three months and then you can, it looks like you can come out, you know, for a couple of months and then we'll go back into lockdown again. And I'm like, what does that mean? It does, doesn't make any sense. So, so it was scary on that regard. I never personally, it, it never set off inside of me I, the same sort of, you know, chemicals of fear that 08 did. And it could, it could be because I was a little bit older um, so maybe I had a little bit more experience, whereas, you know, when 08 happened, I was, um, 29 years old and, you know, sitting on a trading desk trying to figure this thing out. So that's possible. But, you know, the financial system was, a, is just in a stronger position. I mean, um, it was super, super capitalized this time around. It wasn't a leverage bubble. Um, leverage bubbles are particularly scary. And I think we got the impression early on that, there was a lot that we're gonna have to wade through, but that there was a real commitment on the part of policymakers to deal with it and to deal with it aggressively. So there, it, it wasn't it wasn't such a complex situation where in 08, everybody knew they needed to save the financial system, but there was also a lot of anger at the financial system, justified anger at the financial system. And that was that caused this push-pull in policymaking. Um, and this one wasn't that way. So I, I didn't, I knew that we needed to get the emergency lending facilities back up um, at the Fed, and I knew that Congress needed to, you know, flood the system with money. Um, but I just felt like it was going to happen. Whereas I think in 08, there was a real, there was a long time where it didn't feel like any of that was going to happen. And and so this one was a little bit different on that front. To listen to the full episode, please head over to the Housing News Podcast, which is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Now, more than ever, the housing industry is looking to its leaders for answers. That's why each week, the Housing News Podcast invites a new mortgage, fintech, or real estate executive to the show to provide its listeners with more perspective on the announcements and news stories crossing HousingWire's news desk. Hosted by Sarah Wheeler and produced by Elsina Lloyd, the Housing News Podcast is now available on iTunes, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and more. That's a wrap for today's episode of Housing Wire Daily. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, and join us again tomorrow.